Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water and Water Life Science. Worldwide, we're going through one of the reasons I started this radio show 13 years ago. I wanted the focus and the concentration of the show to be bringing in physicians, scholars, scientists, people from all over the world, different countries, to be guests on the show and teach us about health education, what we haven't been learning. And we find ourselves during a time of history, sadly, but the lack of health education through the years to use common sense. I like um, the common sense side. I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center. We study water and life science of the human body. My field is studying the behavior of water evaporation of the body from the moment you're born to live like a battery with the water vapor of the atmosphere. The water vapor of the atmosphere is what keeps you alive and slows down that over-evaporation process that causes you from birth to death. That's our cycle. You're now learning more about immunity system, immunity strength, immunity weaknesses. It's in the water of the body, too. The water is a primary focus for Earth. It's a primary focus for you. Drinking a lot of water is vital to you because each of those organs in the body before you're born, had to have a percentage of water before you were given birth at that moment. The miracle of that baby to go through that and develop itself into these organs like the brain is 80 to 85% water. Your Liver, it's 70 to 75. Your lungs, 75 to 80. Teeth are 8 to 10%. Bones, 20% to 25 I could go on. The heart, the skin, your blood all have high percentages of water. Your muscles, your kidneys. The organ of the eye at the surface is 99% water with what's called a tear film to give you immunity strength. Now I'm going to teach you again. And I'm going to teach this to more of the men out there, ladies, than I am the ladies. Wearing a mask will slow 
the virus or the pandemic down. Now, I know you thought that other countries were wearing them for pollution. They wear them during seasons where viruses are carrying in their countries. So they would not be contaminating and they would not be so susceptible. would teach them to be careful with the habits. We're having to learn how to sanitize our hands. We're having to learn to wear a mask. Now you're wearing the mask because of the saliva, the spit that comes out of the mouth when you talk. Everybody has carries that with that spit when you talk. It doesn't all the time you're talking, but there's a humidity that comes out of the body all the time of the mouth. But there's a spit that comes once in a while from the tongue. It's nature from birth. It's life. We have a tone of voice because of that per person. Have you ever heard somebody coming and you knew who it was before just because of the tone of voice before you saw them? It, it, that's our nature. Our nature is something else that we need to learn. It was given us immunity system strength. Some have it better than others but some drink a lot more water than others. So we got to get serious about the water and protecting the eyes because the eye is a carrier to when you contaminate around that eye, it can carry it in through the, if the eye is is immune weak and that eye is too dry, A dry eye disease, they call it. And if it's dry, it can be a carrier to you to be susceptible. It's common sense. And men don't think a thing of wearing a mask and protecting everybody around you and protecting yourself. Learn what you have to do. Now, I know it takes extra time and extra steps because we're a society in this country of America that's always in a hurry. We're never patient about what has to be. We're impatient. And men are more impatient than women are impatient. Women are used to um, challenging what they have to figure out. Men want it to be now, in a hurry. Don't have time. Got too much to do. They have a set attitude, outlook. But guess what? You're going to have to start wearing a mask if we're going to slow this pandemic down, save lives. We have a in the United States, freedom that I think is just unbelievably valuable. I understand it. In America, there's freedom, democracy. It's a country of the world that everybody wants to live in. Because of that freedom, 
But when it comes time for the mask, remember, you do have the freedom, but you need to learn to be courteous. And even though it's an inconvenience and a handicap, taking the time, do it. Don't put it off. Do it. Help each other to remember to do it. It's important. Now, today we're going to have a very exciting guest on. I saw a report come through on the FDA, and I get these reports from all these different research centers all over the country because we're a research center. And there's a Dr. Sahil Khanna that had a very good article with the FDA about your digestive system and your immune system strength. Your digestive system is vital to you. And, of course, it helps to drink a lot of water, but have the right digestive. And how do you do that when you have a weakness to digest your food? And that maybe you have a tendency to have vulnerability to eating not always the right foods, your particular individual digestive system. So today we're going to have a very, I'm very, very excited about this when I called Dr. Khanna to have him on from the Mayo Clinic. We're going to listen to our sponsor first, Nature's Tears Eye Mist for Dry Eye Immune Strength. Immune strength of the eye is for the tear film. The tear film is 99% water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is a tissue culture grade of water able to mist and provide a humidity supplement to the organ of the eye all day long for dry eye. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be back with Dr. Kana. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. 
If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today's audience, I want to introduce you to Dr. Sahil Khanna, who leads the research team at Mayo Clinic and Digestive Health. Dr. Khanna, are you with us? Good afternoon, Sharon. Yes, I am with you. Well, thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and I was so excited and very want to thank you. I think you're going to be up for a Nobel one these days with what I was reading in your book, um, The Digestive Health and What You've Been Learning, all of your team. I know you lead a team at Mayo Clinic on this study, but the timing of it couldn't be better. And one of the reasons, doctor, that I wanted to invite you on is because I found that people do not understand the immune system of the body. To them, it's just like foreign. You know, they haven't been hearing it and understanding that health education through their years and the common sense. Tell us a little bit. I always ask the guests first, doctor, to tell us about your background, where you grew up, how you got where you're at, so people get to know you before we begin to teach them your, what your education will be on your new research. First of all, thank you for having me over. It's my pleasure and honor to be on the show. I grew up in India, uh, in northern India, and went to medical school in India where I saw a diverse range of patients, and I moved to the United States to get more involved in research and further enhance my skills. I was in San Diego doing immunology research in the lab, working on mice for about two years, and then moved to Minnesota to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, where I did my internal medicine residency and gastroenterology fellowship and got really interested in the gut microbiome, diarrhea diseases of the gut, and GI health in general. I have completed my training about six years ago, and I've been on faculty here in uh, Rochester at the Mayo Clinic, where I lead our general gastroenterology interest group, and also my primary research interests are in infectious disease of the gut called Clostridium difficile and gut microbiome in general. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you found that to be a fascination for you to study. Uh, I'm sure you had a lot of other things you could have been studying. Why did you focus in on the digestive health? I think uh, one of the systems of the body which regulates a lot of the other systems is our gut. The gut has a nervous system. The gut has an immune system. The gut uh, provides nutrients to the rest of our body for it to be functioning the way it needs to be. And then on top of all of that, digestive disorders are very, very, very common. Um, Several million Americans suffer from daily digestive disorders, and my goal and hope is to find help and cure for a lot of these diseases to help uh, people out. Mm-hmm. Have you found, and uh, before we go on to the further education, did you find that people are not teaching their children about the digestive system at, when they're young so they understand that they need to have that digestive elimination every day? and to, to remember, to help them remember that. Have you noticed it's been a not good education to the children? I think it's been a shift 
in how we've been educating ourselves and our families, the bigger shift over the years has been how we're handling diet. Our diets have moved from a high-fiber, high-water-content diet a um, few decades ago now to a low-fiber, high-processed food and low-water and high artificial drinks like sodas um, have crept into our diet and have become mainstream for a lot of our uh, population, which then in turn ties into uh, how our gut functions. And there is an opportunity, as you're mentioning, Sharon, is to educate people more as to how their guts are functioning and why is it important and what are the different things that can go wrong with your gut and how can we make our gut healthier by adopting to lifestyle changes. Have you noticed also that that food, uh, I go back to the children, but go back to the family, that people, when they eat, they don't stop to think if if they've digested what they ate the day before or they haven't digested. They don't stop to think, to feel themselves out as an individual, what makes them feel better to digest by what they eat. Have you noticed that people don't stop enough to think about that? Um, Yes, I have noticed that every now and then when we see people with gastrointestinal symptoms who present to our clinics, um, one of the things that we ask them for sure is, what is the relationship between what they eat, how they eat, how they feel after they eat, to their symptoms? And we do notice that some people are able to give you the answer to that, and others never pay attention to the relationship of what they're feeling to what they eat and if they feel they've digested it or not. So we do, we have noticed that, um, you're absolutely right, Sharon, that there is an immense need for us to educate ourselves um, on this. Yeah, we live, people have to be educated that when you are a person, individuality, and you as an individual have a body of nature that's doing its unique moment. There are no two eyes alike, skins alike. Uh, um, no two people are alike. And we're all different. And we have to learn how we live with a kind of like a rhythm of what's going on around with us. And people don't stop to think what they ate. If it didn't digest, it could have could clog up and create a problem for the immune system to be weaker. Um, now, we're working into where we're going with your education today. What have you been learning about the digestive system that's going to be a breakthrough to people? They, what they need to learn about the diet and how they drink how much water. Teach us about, first of all, teach about the water. Then come along and teach um, us about the food. Water is a very integral component of um, our daily diet. We recommend people that they should be consuming at least 64 ounces or 2 liters of water every day. And th- when I say water, that could mean non-alcoholic, non-caffeinated beverages because other beverages which have alcohol and caffeine in them are diuretics and make you lose more water Um, in addition. And then on top of that, if you're working out, if you're out and about and sweating, you need to replace more water into your body. There are some rare uh, instances where doctors advise people to limit the amount of water they're drinking in terms of some kidney diseases and some 
heart diseases. But for the most part, people should be drinking at least two liters of um, liquids a day to keep their gut healthy, to make sure that they don't get dehydrated. And also, this helps the rest of the body uh, to function the way it needs to function with the water intake. So water is an essential, essential component of our diets. I can't overemphasize it. If you don't drink enough water, you could end up being dehydrated. You could end up being constipated. Um, there could be lots and lots of health issues that would creep up if you don't drink water. I know, Sharon, you've devoted a lot of your career into water, and I commend you for that. Yeah, I wanted to, um, and because I was noticing through the over 40 years ago when I started studying, I was going to write a book, and I thought, oh, no. We need to go out and study this differently. I noticed that they had left water behind in research in studying the behavior of individual evaporation of the water for the skin. Now we we focus into the eyes. Ophthalmology research Mm -hmm. asked me to study the eyes. Well, Mm -hmm. I found that people... Were, had left the water not only in research and science, and you interview physicians, doctor, and they'll say, well, I take it, they take it for granted that people are drinking water. They have to. Well, you've got to remind them. People have to be reminded. Um, our, our lives all over the world are busy. We're moving. We're going. Uh, we're distracted. And... Um, if you don't remind people, um, have you ever known of a doctor who went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're dehydrated? Well, I've known doctors who have had that happen, and they're embarrassed because they know better, but they forget. And they, their excuse is, is the reason they're so pissy. They're not getting enough time to drink it. Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, why did you say that if people have kidney trouble and heart trouble, how much water, because they're going to have to drink water, how much water can Mm. they drink? So there are certain diseases of the heart, not all of them, but certain diseases such as heart failure, where your heart's not pumping blood the way it needs to pump and it works slower than normal. In that case, if they drink excessive amount of water, then they can get into trouble where the water can then get accumulated into their lungs. The same issue is with some people who have chronic kidney disease or renal failure. Not all kidney disease, but a small subset of kidney diseases where doctors may recommend to restrict the amount of water, and that gets individualized. But some patients may need to limit it to 1,000 ml or a liter or 32 ounces a day. Some may need to limit it to 48 ounces. But I would recommend people that if you have a heart or a kidney condition, um, uh, always talk to your doctors about, do I need to limit my water intake or not? And for a lot of the heart conditions, we don't limit water intake. For a lot of the kidney conditions, we don't. But there are some specific conditions where we do limit water intake. Now, what would be the limit? Um, and let's get into what the audience would like to hear. How many 8-ounce glasses of water a day do you recommend for a person who has heart disease, kidney disease, some other diseases, um, what do you recommend? How many eight-ounce glasses of water should they be drinking a day? 
Um, let me start with if somebody is healthy and their doctors have not asked them to restrict water. In that situation, we recommend eight eight ounce out glasses. So it ends up being a lot of water when you start drinking eight of those glasses. And for people who have heart disease or kidney disease, the typical restriction ends up between three to six eight ounce glasses, depending on what their uh, what their condition of their heart and their kidney is. And in that case, you can't give a blanket recommendation for everybody, and one size wouldn't fit all. So in that case, you'd have to doctor a doctor. But the typical recommendations uh, are a little bit lower, and that's a maximum for those patients. People who don't have heart or kidney disease and water restriction, the minimum they should drink is at least eight of the eight ounce glasses. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Now we're going over to what causes the digestive system to clog up, I'll call it. Um, I love common sense, doctor. (laughs) So I keep going back to the words that people can relate to. Um, With the food, we've all known that food will be the next medicine because there's been something you're learning, and you learned about it in India way back in time, I'm sure. With, uh, with which you were learning in research, because India is one of the greatest in research and for the thousands of years. But what have you learned that where people make their mistake about what they forget, what they're eating, uh, how they mix up the food, uh, how, what they do during a day? Uh, tell us about what you've been learning with your team. Thank you. Um, so I think, Sharon, food is one of the most important things that we can regulate to keep ourselves healthier. When we look at different things that we can change in our health, you can't change your genetics. Um, you have some control over your environment, but you do have control over what you eat. And it's not only what you eat, it's what you eat, how you prepare it, where do you buy it from, and also it uh, it boils down to how you're eating and what are, what are your eating habits throughout the day uh, and, and for weeks. So th- it, it, gets, it ends up being a good coaching experience when you start talking about food. In my experience, I think what we've learned over the years from our prior generations, from our uh, forefathers, is that one needs to eat what we call as a balanced diet. Once, there are several principles out there in terms of processed foods should be avoided as much as possible. Foods that have refined sugars should be avoided. We usually say that sugars should be less than 10% of your daily caloric intake. We say that fat should be between 20 and 35% of your daily caloric intake, but one should make concerted efforts to decrease the amount of trans fats that they eat and decrease the amount of saturated fats that they eat and have efforts to increase the unsaturated fatty acids, which are seen in olive oil, nuts, nut butters, avocados. So there are sources of healthy fat that are out there, which should be a component of one's diet. The next thing in food is fiber. And fiber requirements are varying based on people's age and gender. But typically, we recommend people eating anywhere between 20 and 40 grams of fiber. And the requirements are higher in men somewhat lower in women based on how the digestive tract works. But fiber is extremely important to regulate the gut because fiber helps 
the food moves through very well. Fiber also feeds useful good bacteria. Studies have shown that there are trillions of bacteria living in our intestines and they help with digestion, they help with immunology, they help with immune regulation. They're involved in several diseases. And one thing that we've learned for the last 10 or 15 years studying the bacteria in the gut is that if you feed them high fiber, the good bacteria grow more than the bad bacteria. So that's what fiber. Fiber is extremely important. Fiber is seen in whole wheat bran, fiber seen in fruit, salads, whole grains. And then protein. We recommend the protein intake be about 0.8 to a gram per kilogram of body weight. That's the usual protein intake that we recommend. Not higher than that. In some people, it has to be lower than that depending on if they have certain health conditions. Carbohydrates should not be consumed in excess. A little less than half of your overall caloric intake every day should be coming from carbohydrates. And we recommend people to consume what we call as complex carbohydrates rather than simple carbohydrates. Complex carbohydrates are the ones their body needs to break and spend energy breaking them rather than simple carbohydrates, which can completely get absorbed and then converted into your body into fat and lead to metabolic diseases. So that's kind of mm-hmm. a basic principle. Everybody has a different caloric need. Um, usual ranges are between 1,500 and 2,000 calories, but based on their body habitus, their body weight, the fat content of their body, um, the, there are calculators that are available that one can plug in uh, some of their body parameters and try to figure out how many calories they should be eating. Now, you have a book out called um, Digestive Health that they can even buy, I think, on Amazon too, right? Um, that is correct. Um, I am privileged to be the medical editor of that book. That book has been around uh, for more than about 15 years now. It's called Mayo Clinic okay. on Digestive Health. And last year, we took on a journey where we thought, let's revamp the book and put in all the latest information in that book. And mm-hmm. it has latest information on prevention of GI diseases, prevention of cancers. Um, it has information on healthy diet, has information on the gut bacteria, and then also has information on different diseases that are out there and what people can do to help manage some of those diseases. What should you be worried about? What should you go to the doctor for? Um, and what medicines and treatments are available. Um, I, I had uh, a lot of fun writing that with uh, several people who helped me, helped me write that, and I've recommended that to people in general who are interested in knowing about their gut. You know, it should be um, something that they, all the schools, I'm, uh, we got to take a break and don't go anywhere, a doctor, during the break. We have one break during the whole show, but... This is something in the school system that I've noticed that we need desperately is that health education and all that you're teaching us today with the kids and what they're eating. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have our only break to listen to our sponsor. We're listening to our sponsor with nature's tears, eye mist, with just a mist, dry eye at the surface of the eye. 99% water at the surface of the eye. Your immune strength is in that tear film in that 99% water. If you have a dry eye, you'll be immunity weak. And they're learning that the spit can carry a virus, 
And then if you touch your eye, it can carry the virus to the rest of the body through the organs. You need to learn about nature's tears eye mist. It's the only product technology worldwide that's a tissue culture 100% water to be able to, with just a mist, to be able to supplement the organ of the eye. We'll let you listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Kana. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today we've invited Dr. Sahil Khanna, who's with the Mayo Clinic. And he's been leading a team to study the digestive health of the body, which I think is a very important subject right now with immune strength of the body. For all of you to stop and learn and think about, not only for yourselves, but also for your students, your children. Doctor, tell us about what you've been learning about the challenges that people are running into in the school system with their health education. What have you been learning anything about that? I think this is a very important factor because the earlier we can impart education um, in, our, in our population regarding what they eat and how they handle their gut, uh, the, the better it is. We've noticed over the years that the kind of food that's given to uh, kids in schools is probably not the one that you would usually otherwise recommend in terms of um, what, what the healthiest foods would be. That probably some school systems are now making changes to that as we read that in the news. One of the things that I think is lacking uh, in our overall education system is to start teaching kids about what's good for them to eat and what's not good for them to eat and start that at an early level 
in life, and perhaps this should be part of the curriculum, as you were mentioning, Sharon. One of the other things also would be to teach people how to read labels. We all uh, tend to buy things that come in boxes and that have labels on that, but education on how to read those labels, how to interpret them, and how much of what one should eat at one point of time is also extremely important. And that kind of education should start earlier on in life, but also needs to continue throughout, uh, throughout our lives. Have you noticed that in um, preschool that the children are not, that's, that's a good time to begin, is that education in a preschool. And then they get into different advancements into the grade school, the middle school, and more. Trying to get them early enough and get the families. I know I've done some work with um, at the YMCA when they're having health uh, weekends to specialize in health at the YMCA, and we'll go in and teach water. But we'll also be teaching how they can take a little baggie and put some different types of vegetable lettuces or whatever with some... Um, different coconut or some different things, nuts, or make it taste good to where the student can take something of that nature to school and have it as a snack when they think they need a little strengthening. And um, the kids just went crazy, and the mothers loved the idea at the time. Now, when you're teaching... Uh, one thing where are you finding how many people want to go off and be higher education and be in the medical field with studying and being part of digestive health? Are you finding that that's just not something a lot of people are doing? Um, um, Sharon, I'll give you a two-part answer to the question. Um, completely agree. Kids should be taught, taught young. We should focus on their overall diet. Um, we should teach our kids on what they should be eating, but we should also, as adults, be role models for the kids. Um, if they're eating a balanced diet, that's what the kids would kids would eat. Um, should always sort of set some boundaries on what kind of snacks would people be would kids be getting, and then try not to have um, foods as rewards for kids, um, which can also then percolate. We're all seeing a higher level of obesity in our pediatric population or in kids which is very, very disturbing uh, trend. So we are seeing um, more and more people wanting to go into medicine, though. We're also seeing more and more people wanting to um, do a diet as part of medicine. The number of people who want to be dietitians is going up. The number yeah. of people who want to be medis- in medicine is, yeah. is going up. Uh, and also, when, we, when people are in medical school, you ask them what part of medicine um, are they interested in. We, a lot of them do want to do into, go into gastroenterology as a subspecialty, both gastroenterology mm-hmm. and cardiology end up being uh, top subspecialties where people want to go into, and these are um, highly sought after, uh, which is great. But within gastroenterology, okay. um, one can then specialize into um, nutrition or diet or general gastroenterology and GI in general. And then there are subspecialties within, um, within the GI system, such as people can be doctors of the liver or doctors of the pancreas or doctors of the esophagus for that matter, which is the food pipe. Now, the other thing about uh, the diet is the sugar. Let's just single it out. Sugar and or sodium. And um, 
What are you finding that people don't seem to understand? Sugar, what it's doing, and over to the sodium, what it's doing. What have you learned there to teach them? Knowing sugar and what it does to the body is extremely important. A small amount of sugar is necessary because our bodies do need to process that much amount of sugar for its regular functioning. However, sugar should probably comprise less than 10% of our overall caloric need. When we look at sugar content and things that we consume on a day-to-day basis, there are some pictographs on on the uh, internet that you can look at. If you have a glass of regular Coca-Cola or a similar soda-based drink, up to half of it can be just sugar in itself. So sugar, and that much amount of sugar uh, can increase your blood glucose um, very rapidly. If you have diabetes, you could go into some serious trouble. But then also, sugar, when you consume it, it then gets processed by the body into a storage mechanism because the body sees, I'm getting a lot of sugar. Let's keep it with me for a rainy day when I may not have enough energy sources. And then the body converts sugar into fat, and then that fat gets stored everywhere in the body, including um, underneath the skin, but also gets stored inside the organs of the body, in the arteries that supply blood to the heart, and inside the liver, and then can lead to to serious issues. And then that also uh, causes it, doesn't that also cause a problem to the digestive because it triggers something that the person has to learn how to feel how what's, what they're eating that is, can, is, is going to help them. And now before we go on to sodium, tell us about what you've been learning, though. I know you've had to study it, about the artificial methods of sugar. In other words, the alcoholic type, the, um, the type that are artificial sugars. What have you learned? What is that doing to the health? people. Artificial sugars have um, a lot of disadvantages more than the advantages that they have. Um, Artificial sugars we notice can cause GI distress to people. A lot of people when they're consuming drinks that are made with artificial sugars or candy made with artificial sugars end up having abdominal pain and end up having diarrhea also. If you look at uh, what our endocrinologists or people who specialize diabetes research, they also say that artificial sugars overall are not beneficial because they can trigger the wrong kinds of receptors in the body. It is probably okay to consume artificial sugars, but it has to be done in a small amount. One should not be consuming tons and tons of artificial sugars every day because it can lead to metabolic derangement. It can uh, hamper sometimes weight loss issues also. And then sugar in itself... um, Shannon, you've probably known this too. Sugar is an addictive compound. Both artificial and actual sugars, once you start eating it, you start getting sugar cravings and your body is just wanting yeah. even more sugar because it wants to do this. The sugar is one more. of the most addictive foods that's out there. I think so too. It is. I tease people too, doctor. Um, do you have, okay, but we'll, we'll go into something here and I'll go back into my teaser here. Um, the uh, glucose side of all that and what happens to the carbohydrate glucose side. And then there's the sodium that that creates the flavor in what you're eating is how much sodium is in the, the food. 
the processed food. What have you learned about sodium content, what they need to learn? The usual recommended sodium content for most people is about two grams of sodium a day. If you are not eating processed or uh, food that, that comes in a can, two grams is enough sodium to give yourself flavor throughout the day and what you're eating. Now, I would recommend everybody and anybody who likes to eat canned foods, next time they buy one of those canned foods, look at that can, look at the label and say, how many grams of sodium or how many milligrams of sodium does it have per serving and how many servings it has? And you'd be surprised that something that's as small as a can of soup, which is recommended having two servings and people can usually consume that in one meal, could actually give you the entire sodium that you're needed for the day. And then you're putting sodium on top of that. Sometimes people add salt to it or use salt Mm -hmm. in the rest of the meals during the day and can Mm -hmm. have excessive sodium, which can then have its own detrimental effects, including effects on blood pressure. Now, is there a type of salt that is a little better for you as far as uh, looking at different... um, Types of salt, um, I buy a Himalayan salt. Um, it just takes a pinch, and it's all you need is a pinch uh, sprinkled. Because, it, But, again, is there a particular salt that you recommend that if people are going to have available to be on the table or in cooking? I think one of the, th- one of the thoughts that I usually have for people who are trying to control their sodium is, not to have extra salt on the table. If you don't have it, okay. you probably won't okay. put it on. If you have it in front of okay. you, you're going to start putting it on. Now, we've got a worldwide audience, and I would say that um, for some people, um, iodine is an important component of uh, salt. In parts of the developing world, um, iodine okay. is not found in diet. Otherwise, they should have iodized salt. That's more relevant okay. for, for the Eastern world. Um, for the Western world, not so relevant, but one should look at iodine versus non-iodine salt. Now, okay, I'm glad you got that. If, in terms of sodium, if uh, one does not have restrictions, one can have two grams of sodium and can use regular salt. But if one does have sodium restrictions because of heart disease or high blood pressure or other conditions, then at that time, one could consider using a low-sodium variant of salt, which has potassium and sodium in it both. And that can also be used. But if you do have heart uh, or other conditions, always recommend to discuss that with your doctor who knows their entire health history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I'm going to go back to the sugar for a second. What kinds of sugar do you think that are out there? If they needed a little sugar um, on something, is it, is it, do you think brown sugar, white sugar? Which, which sugar is it? Do you think that they should be raw sugar? Which one do you think is they should be considering to use? Non-refined. As much as you can go to non-refined sugar, the better it okay. is. So raw, okay. brown, um, honey is usually a good alternative honey. to use. As much as one, okay. honey is a good alternative to use. Um, honey has, okay. a, um, uh, I would usually recommend people not to use um, unpasteurized honey because you give that to kids, kids, uh, that's usually not recommended. But honey is a good alternative um, but try to mm-hmm. stay, stay away from refined sugars because refined sugars get absorbed into the body right away and then they get converted into fat. 
which is not now, the kind of metabolism you one would want. There's honey, but there's agave. Uh, which one of those two do you recommend that is healthier? Honey or agave? Um, honey and agave, are pro- in terms of the sugar content, I think they're probably similar. But in terms okay. of uh, some of the agave honeys and um, uh, claim to have other health benefits, which may or may not be completely proven. Okay. Okay. In terms of sugar content, they're probably similar to you. Yeah. Now, there's a glucose problem out there with uh, diets because we're really into, we're back to the macaroni and cheese. Uh, It really surprised me that macaroni and cheese, and even in the restaurants, macaroni and cheese, and then pastas, no into pastas. What is your thinking on that for digestion? I think it's a very good question. So the, the, these end up being highly processed foods. So when you, when you, may, when you take wheat, you, um, wheat's a good source of fiber usually. When you try to process it and start making some of those pastas, which are the one-minute or the two-minute recipe, they're the easy-to-cook recipe. By the time they've reached the box on the shelf, it's been deprived of a lot of nutrients such as vitamins and minerals, and it's also been deprived of the fiber. Um, And then it gets into what I call as simple carbohydrates, which are easy to go, easy to digest uh, in terms of a lot of by the body and all of the caloric content of that gets absorbed right away into the body. So that, that, that ends up being a prob- problem. And then when you look at the labels for some of those things, they're really high in carbohydrate content and they're really high in salt content yeah. because right. salt is added as a preservative. And it's not usually recommended for us to eat processed foods over and over and over again. I would almost think about people to go back to eating some grains, some whole grains, um, some bran, some quinoa, those are good grains and good sources what of about what you call rice. good carbohydrates. What about uh, the difference between white rice and the brown rice and then the wild rice? Hands down, brown, brown rice is healthier than white rice because it does have more fiber in it. Um, same okay. content for, for wild rice. Uh, brown rice does take longer to cook. It may not taste as delicious as white rice, but it does have more fiber and does have what we call as a lower glycemic index, meaning that mm-hmm. when you consume brown rice, your body's blood glucose is not going to shoot up as fast as white rice mm-hmm. would, would do that just because it's more of a simple carbohydrate. And the more complex carbohydrate that you consume, the better it is usually. And what about potatoes? People are love potatoes. What do you think the uh, potato is doing uh, to, the di- to the digestive? Yeah. Potatoes in moderation is okay to consume, I would say. Okay. The trouble with potatoes is that potatoes get chopped, get fried, and salt gets added to it, and we eat them as French fries. So that's the mm-hmm. biggest problem with potatoes. But one could mm-hmm. cook potatoes in a way where you're not frying it or not adding, adding a lot of salt to it. Um, but I would not recommend anybody to eat potatoes multiple meals during mm-hmm. the day. I think in moderation it's appropriate to consume, but not for multiple meals in a day. Mm-hmm. And real quickly, I wanted to ask you about vegetarian diets real quickly. Do you think a strict vegetarian diet is healthy? 
A strict vegetarian diet can be healthy if one is able to get all of the nutrients that one needs for uh, being vegetarian uh, uh, while being vegetarian to help uh, the body. When people go to vegetarian diets, sometimes they miss out on the iron consumption and the vitamin B12 consumption and all the other vitamins that you can get from uh, things that are not vegetarian. And then the most important aspect ends up being protein. Um, if oh, one does go to a vegetarian protein. diet, one needs to figure out a protein source, um, which can be soy-based, plant-based things that are available. But any kind of these drastic changes should be, sometimes you could go to sources such as the Milk Diet Book, or you could go to the NIH uh, food plate, which can help you being a vegetarian and make that healthy choice for yourself. Um, but I would al- always recommend to make sure that you're getting your vitamins, you're getting your minerals, you're getting your protein intake so that you're not missing out on a key ingredient of the body. I'm going to give you a little teaser for a second, but real quickly I'm going to bring out this. I've noticed on that food pyramid still there is no glass of water at the top, and I think water is one of the most important nutrition methods for our bodies and immunity there is. And I noticed They still don't have it. But I was going to do a little teaser. We talk about food and your people craving. What do you eat that you can't eat just one? Um, A a lot of things. Um, A lot of things. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that you eat and then your taste buds want more of them. Yeah, right. You want another one. You can't stop. Um, you can't, so can, um, you, can you pick out one? Um, I, I'd say candy. Um, candy. And they'd want a, is it they'd chocolate? Want a second one, they'd want a third is, one. Um, is it chocolate for you? For, oh, you're asking me. Yeah. Right. Uh, I thought in general people. Yeah, for, for me, if I, you know, for me if, I, if I eat a piece of chocolate, I have to have a second one. Usually it's dark chocolate. Okay. <laughs> um, but what I was what I was trying to get at was, in general, there are two flavors that the human Mine body gets addicted to. And, uh, I don't dare. I have to ration popcorn. it. Yeah, it's probably popcorn because popcorn has butter and salt in it. It's probably chocolate well, for some people because it has uh, sugar in it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, thank you so much for coming today because we have learned a lot now. We're... Would they, would, that would tell us the name of your book. We've only got 30 seconds. Tell us the name of your book and where to find it. Um, the book is called Mayo Clinic on Digestive Health, How to Prevent and Treat Common Stomach and Gut Problems. And it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, the Mayo Clinic bookstores, and also uh, in several physical stores across the country. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. The health education here was unbelievable. I know that whole thing is going to be up for a Nobel one day because of the food being such an important future. Thank you for coming on today, doctor. Thank you for having me, Sharon. Have a good day. And you be well. Bye. Thank you. Well, audience, I want to thank you. Thank you. Audience, put a child heart in your hands. Think of the children of the world going through all this and what they're needing. And all of them are perfect to me. You have a nice day and you be well. 
Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 